We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Everybody doing okay? Y'all look great. You look awesome, beautiful. Everybody's awake. Uh, I know that we have had a lot of you traveling, and we still have people traveling and sick. I even did some uh, some breaking this week with my own family. My kids and I went up for a couple nights to La Toretta up in Montgomery. We had a good time, spent a lot of hours in the pool, and I worked on my suntan. Can you tell? Um, no, that's a no. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, of course, get home and, and uh, enter into what I consider to be one of the most exciting times of the year, uh, March Madness. And uh, so watch lots and lots of basketball. And so uh, I, uh, I am glad that you're here and I'm excited about all that God is doing in our community. And I know we have some guests here this morning and I want to say to you, welcome. We're thankful for that. We have new people every single week. In fact, right after this service today, we have 12 people who have been attending our church for a little while and saying, yeah, we want to be a part of this movement, uh, attending what we call Mission Partner Prep, which is like our membership class. And we say we don't have members because what membership does is you pay a fee, you get a service. But as we read the scriptures, what we see is God raising up a group of partners on mission for, for God. And so that's very exciting for us. And so this is a great place to be. And uh, we're excited about all that God's going to do. So um, I would just remind you that all of my sermons are recorded, or whoever preaches, last week was John, uh, are recorded and posted online, the video and the audio. And you can go check those out at podcast.neartownchurch.org. I've had a lot of response from people about my sermon series called Unique, which happened uh Prior to last week, we talked about singleness, marriage, manhood, womanhood, and then we ended it with a sermon on sex. And so uh, that's been exciting, and I kind of left town for a week to let the dust settle on that one. And, uh, and, and it's been an awesome thing to hear you respond and your interaction and questions and all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, questions are important. And uh, I've wanted from the beginning... To be a part of a church where we're having and asking questions was normalized. And as we consider that, I do think this is that kind of church. I think that there's a lot of safety here when people can ask questions. Not everybody believes the same or believes what we confess, but we create an environment where people can um, learn about what God says in his word. We believe that the written word, the Bible, reveals the living word, Jesus. And so this is a safe place to learn about that. And as we consider this environment where people are given permission and encouraged to ask questions, uh, if they're are also willing to listen to answers, we have what I would consider to be the most important question of your life. The most important question of your life and of my life is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And this is not a new question to our day, it's a question that's been asked since Jesus walked on earth. In fact, Jesus encouraged his followers to ask the question. He asked them in Matthew chapter 16, Who do you say that I am? Who do you think Jesus is? You know, as we ask that question, what we must try to comprehend or think about is that there has never been in the history of the world a more talked about person than Jesus. Never. 
And just a few months ago, we celebrated his birth. And just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate his resurrection. So here I am in this series with the question posed, who is Jesus? As we get to the moment of the year, maybe more than any other moment of the year, where we get to celebrate that Jesus, who was crucified, is raised from the dead. Jesus is worth talking about. Hello, people. You're going to have to wake up a little bit. Jesus is worth talking about. Some people, when they are asked the question, who is Jesus, they might answer with this. Well, Jesus was an inspiring idea. And the idea of Jesus helps us to be better people. Kind of like Superman, right? I mean, Superman is not real. Yeah, I know, I know. We will have a recovery support group for you. (laughs) Superman is not real, but the idea of Superman is great, right? The idea of Superman is great is that against all odds, Superman is helping people. People that don't even know that they need help, Superman is helping them. Some people think of Jesus in this way. Well, he's an inspiring idea, so he doesn't have to be real, but the idea of Jesus and the idea of what he did or what history claims that he did is good, and we ought to talk about it because it helps people. Other people say that Jesus was a mere man. This is more common. Sure, he was a great leader, he was a catalytic revolutionary at just the right time in history, but he was a mere man and he eventually died. His followers told some stories about him, they preachered it up some, colored it up some, you know what I'm saying? And these incredible stories became so magnificent that then people, maybe the established church, this is what some say, have made him into a god. But he was a mere man. I mean, we can appreciate this man, Jesus, as a great leader, as a catalytic revolutionary. But he was a mere man and he's dead. There are others, and this may be more and more common, especially in the center of this city, saying that Jesus, the idea of Jesus, the person of Jesus is really a myth. He was never really real. Someone along the way made him up to control people. Our confession, when asked this question, who is Jesus? And I want to be clear from the beginning, is that we believe, we operate, we live with a sense of conviction deep in our hearts that Jesus is a resurrected Lord. The Bible reveals Jesus as God in the flesh whose life and death and resurrection are an invitation for us to die to ourselves and be raised into a new life reconciled to God. A life of purpose and a life of hope. That's who we confess Jesus is, but not everybody believes that. Well, as we talk about This question, who is Jesus? Here's how I'm going to handle it. This week I'm going to talk about who the Bible reveals Jesus as in his early years. There's not actually very much. And then next week I'll talk about the later years. And then the week after that is Easter where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And in this series, what I'm hoping is that Jesus will become for you more real. You will see him for who he truly is. 
if any part of the way you feel or think about Jesus has him as merely an inspiring idea or a man who's, who just lived and died or a, um, even a myth, I'm wanting to plead with you as we examine the scriptures to see Jesus for who he is so that you can live the life that God has for you. I believe that if we as a community of faith will more, more clearly see Jesus for who he is and feel that deeply and, and wallow in that truth, then we will be the kind of people that are more free, more passionate, we're more loving, more generous, more connected to others in mission. We're, we're people that are more um, compelled to pray and to reach out to people that don't know him, know him and, we're, and we'll be uh, committed and disciplined in our learning about who Jesus is. This is, this is my hope. This is our direction. So for today, there's really one main idea, and that's this, that like Jesus, you have a unique place in God's plan. So let me pray before I move forward, because I know that this sermon, maybe more than any other sermon I've ever preached, as we begin to examine who is Jesus, it could be overlooked by those of you that think you know who Jesus is, could be ignored by those of you that don't agree right now with what I'm about to say about Jesus. So I'm going to ask God to help us all in this moment. God Almighty, we have a very limited comprehension of who Jesus is. And God, with our words, sometimes we say that Jesus is Lord, but with our lives, we live as if he's a mere idea, as if he no longer exists, as if it was a mere myth. I pray, God, that your spirit would do something wonderful in each of our hearts. That you would write on the core of us truths or tattoo on the core of us truths about who Jesus is that will forever affect us and affect our lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the Bible... Near the beginning of Jesus' life, we read that his birth was miraculous. There were prophecies made about Jesus hundreds of years prior to his birth. We read in the scriptures that Jesus was conceived by the supernatural work of God's Spirit and carried in the womb of a virgin named... Very good. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Do you know a little bit about Isaiah? He was a prophet who prophesied around 700 B.C. So 700 years prior to the birth of that little baby that we now understand to be the baby that would grow into a man, the God-man, our resurrected Lord. 700 years prior to his birth. Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel is God with us. So the prophet addresses uh, what's called the house of David, meaning the family of the descendants of King David, and speaks of a virgin being pregnant with a child and giving birth to this child. This birth was going to be a sign from God, and his name was going to be Emmanuel, God with us. 
So 700 years after this prophecy, and that's one of dozens of prophecies from the Old Testament that point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to provide an apologetic that these prophecies prove Jesus is who he says he is at this time, but I do want to point out that the birth of Jesus is important. It's significant. It's talked about for hundreds of years. So when this little baby was born, it was more than just the birth of another child who happened to be born at just the right time. This little baby that was born, that grew into be the resurrected king, was born by the divine plan of God for a purpose far greater than anything that we could imagine or ask or certainly those people even had an idea about. God with us. His entrance into humanity was incredible. Consider this. The king of the region, Herod, felt so threatened by the possibility that a king was born. The rumors were swirling. An angel has said a king has been born. The word got to King Herod. He was so threatened by it. You know what he did? He sent out an army to try to find Jesus. And then when he couldn't find him, he issued a decree that every child, every boy, two and under, needed to be murdered. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. Joseph's father, earthly father, receives a message from an angel because King Herod is doing this. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child, Jesus, and his mother, Mary, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. I want to stop there as we are looking at the early years of Jesus and make this one point. There, have, there has always been opposition to God the Father introducing the world to God the Son. Always. Certainly there are threats in our day. Can't help but think about our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in places like Syria and Iraq and on the other side of the world that this morning... Today, sometime, will fear for their lives because of they confess Jesus as Lord. There's always been threats. People trying to oppose God's work in the world to introduce others to Jesus Christ. Always. In our country, the threat is different. And Can I just suggest to you that the threat in our country is as severe as other places in the world where people might not live to see the end of the day because of their confession of Christ? Hold on. What would that threat be in our day? You know what it is? Busyness. It sounds pretty benign. Like we're busy and that's as much of a threat. No, it is. Our mission as a church from the beginning has been stated like this. We're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. That's because what we see all around us, what we see in our own lives, what I see in my own heart, is a busyness. Things distract us so easily. Our calendars get filled with things that are good and we neglect the best. This is our lives. If I had a one-on-one meeting with you, And I asked you, in three words, describe your life. One of the top three words would be the word busy. The word busy describes and defines our people, and certainly in the inner city of Houston, it does. Busyness is literally killing Jesus in our community. 
People are too busy to prioritize gathering weekly for worship or to get in a home group where there's real accountability and discipleship happening. So what happens is our hearts drift from the mission of God. People are so busy that what gets put to the back of their calendar is gathering with believers. When the scripture clearly says, do not give up the habit of gathering together to encourage one another. Now, attendance in a room or gathering in a room for us is not a primary metric of success. We, we recognize that attendance, billing, cash are a way to measure what's going on. Those aren't the primary metric for us. And so we don't pride ourselves on how many people come in here or how many people are not in here. But we recognize the need for people to gather. And what is killing it is busyness. I recently had a conversation with somebody not in this church. They said to me, I don't need to go to church any more than I need to go. I, need to, I don't need to go to church to get spiritually fit any more than I need to go to a gym to get physically fit. And what he was saying was that, you know, he could just go in his garage and lift weights by himself and it was all the same. And of course, what I wanted to say but didn't, but Will, since he's not here, is he didn't look all that fit. <laughs> I need to delete that from the podcast in case he listens. <laughs> is the mindset of today which is absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous because the church is not a person. The church is a people. We are the church. You can't think about your life independent of how it affects other believers in your community of faith. People are so busy. People are so busy that we're exhausted. I know this feeling. I am busy. I mean, I, I you know, busy. I've got four kids. I'm with you. I get it. You're, you're, we're, there's a lot of pressure. Many of you, young professionals, you're at the beginning of your career. There's an expectation that you're going to be, go, do, all of these things. And we're so busy and we're so exhausted that it feels impossible to get up and read our Bible in the morning. And without that time with the Father, what happens is our passion wanes. It slowly kills Jesus. We're so busy that what becomes the loudest voice in our hearts, in our lives, is what the majority is saying. And ultimately what happens is it kills Jesus. Because Jesus has never been very popular with the majority. Jesus said himself, they will hate you because of me. And we're so busy that um, this is the saddest of all, that, that many people that claim the name of Christ will live their entire lives and never really invite an unbeliever in a conversation about Christ. I mean, that is tragic. When that is the great commission of Jesus who said, go, I mean, this is some of his last words, go into all the world and make disciples. Tell people about who I am. He says in Acts 1, and the Holy Spirit will be with you when you do it. Busyness is killing Jesus, just like Herod tried to kill him in the first century. But here's what I want to encourage you with. No matter how busy you get, no matter how busy I get, no matter how distracted we get, Jesus and the message of who he is will continue to move forward in our city. You know, there's not much written about the early life of Jesus. And it's really interesting. Most of what's written about Jesus in the Gospels is about the three years of his life. And about a quarter to a third of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is about the last week of his life. Interesting. It's, and it's really mind-boggling if you consider just from a pure 
um, logic standpoint, how significant of a figure Jesus is considering there's so little written about his actual behavior while on earth. It's such a short amount of time. But there is one story. It's in Luke chapter 2. If you're there, uh, just look down at it. Luke chapter 2. It's a story about when Jesus was 12 years old. Now, 12 years old in this day is different than 12 years old in our day. 12 years old in this day was the, was the age just right at when a boy was becoming a man. And so there's a transition here in the Gospels of when Jesus was a child and talked about to uh, whenever he begins to assume his role as a man in the community, in the society that God had born him in. So this question in Luke chapter 2 verse 41 Jesus' parents were on their way to Jerusalem. Every year they went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Jerusalem would swell by hundreds of thousands of visitors. They would pack themselves into this town for this annual time of worship for Jews. And people traveled in large groups for companionship and then also security. So whenever they went there for Passover and then left, it was not really, it's not really all that mind-boggling to think that Mary and Joseph did not know that Jesus wasn't with them. You know, I mean, I'll never forget when I was uh, a new dad. Um, the first day after we had our first child, Kobe, Jeannie and I went to Chili's because that's where you go if you live in the suburbs. And Jeannie, I dropped her off at the door because she was just recovering from having a child. And, and I go park the car. I get out. I come in. And she's like, where's Kobe? I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, and I ran back to the car and he didn't know anything had happened. <laughs> so that is strange in our day, right, that you as a parent would leave a child behind. But in this day, it wasn't all that mind boggling to, to, to consider. Jesus uh, was with this large group of people. And so they're on their way back. And they realize that Jesus wasn't among the crowd as they're returning home. It says in verse 44, they begin to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Verse 45, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple. Sitting among the teachers. The temple is like a, kind of like the church gathering. Sitting among the teachers and asking them questions. Verse 47, and all who heard him were amazed. This word amazed is kind of unique. Um, not just surprised. Not just like, oh, I'm so proud of little Johnny. He got an A on his test. But they were beside themselves. This little leaguer was hitting home runs. They were beside themselves in amazement as they observed Jesus and listened to his questions and what he had to say. And when his parents saw him, verse 48, they were astonished. They were struck out of their senses. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? We read that as if she's irritated. And she might be a little on edge. I mean, Mary knew that Jesus was special, but she did not fully comprehend who he was. And so this is really out of bounds that Jesus would have, uh, as we read it, done something that would be like disobeying his parents. And what we read here is significant. Verse 49, And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
And they did not fully understand all that he spoke to him. And then Jesus went with them and continued to be submissive to them, the scripture says. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Second point that I want you to understand and think about. Jesus understood that he had a special place in God's plan. From a very early age, Jesus understood he had a special place in God's plan. He was aware of this intimate relationship that he could have with the Father, um, which went beyond what would be just normal religious consciousness as a devout Jew. We see this in other places in the gospel. Jesus recognized his relationship with God the Father as unique. John chapter 10 verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. John 14 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Jesus understood that he had a special place in God's plan. And he embraced it. He lived with this deep conviction. And he would not allow anything to keep him from it. Not even his closest family members. This is incredible. When we ask the question, who is Jesus? And we look at the scriptures and see that Jesus is answering that question for us. He is different. He has a special relationship with the Father. This relationship with the Father is so important to him that not even his closest family members come before it. Now, it helps us to understand who Jesus is, but it also helps you to understand who you are. You know you have a special place in God's plan. It sounds contrite, and maybe you've heard that before, but it's significant. In Christ, through Christ, with Christ, you get to walk so closely with God that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in you and can powerfully work through you. You have a special place in God's plan. My place is no more significant than yours. My role may be different. Not all of you will stand and pastor a church and preach to people. But all of you have a special place in God's plan and you must embrace it. You must believe it. You must pursue it. You must prioritize it. And you cannot allow anything to distract you from it. Even well-meaning people that are close to you. So what distracts you from it? What detains you? What keeps you from taking your role in God's redemptive plan? Some of you are. You understand that the success of your business and the profits from that business give you opportunity to be used by God to advance the kingdom, to push the line forward. There are others of you that know you have a very special role of prayer. Your your special place in God's redemptive plan is that you are passionate about praying and you've taken on that role. And you pray for people at your work, you pray for family members, you pray for this church, you pray for ill people, for people that need, need, need Jesus. You've taken that, which is awesome. That's your special place primarily. Maybe that's it for you. What is your place 
Maybe your special place is to be one of those in this church, for instance, that labors a little more than everybody else, shows up a little earlier, stays a little later. Maybe that's your place. Maybe your place is to be the guy that's very intentionally and effectively sharing Jesus with people. Maybe your place is going to be someday to live in another part of the world where people don't know Jesus. And you're going to live there, and you're going to go to the bathroom in a hole in the ground. It's going to be that bad. It happens. I've been there. But you'll know that that's your place in missions. You'll know that that's your place. And you're not going to let anybody or anything keep you from it. I'll never forget those very first conversations I had with with people very close to me when I was talking about leaving my current place of employment and coming into the inner city with three kids at the time and planting a church. I'll never forget it because most of them said to me, you're crazy. It'll never work. Do you have any idea how expensive it is to plant a church in this economy in that area of the city? You know what? I didn't didn't know how expensive it was going to be. (laughs) I wouldn't have done it. I didn't know how hard it was going to be. I wouldn't have done it. I did not know that the very first person that I was going to meet as a Christian in the neighborhood just trying to share Christ would be a man that I became very close to and two years later would be murdered. I didn't know that. If I had known that, I would have never done it. But what I did know is that God had called me and my wife and our kids in, and not just us, but several of you who were a part of those very early days, and said, i got a place for you. It's in the inner city of Houston. You're going to be about inviting busy people to experience a peace of life with Jesus Christ. There are going to be people that oppose you, the people that preach a message, but it's not really the gospel with Jesus at the center. are going to be all around you, and you have to be friends with them, even though you don't agree with them, and that's okay. And, and you're going to do it, and you're going to, this is your place and for this time in your life. What's your place? What's your role? I believe that you have a very special place. Do not let anything distract you from it. We also see in this passage, as a third point, something that Jesus is doing in his early years that's really important. You see, he's 12 years old. He's becoming a man. He's on his, on his way. He's found his place in this special relationship with the Father. But what he did, which is worth modeling or emulating for us, is that he asked a lot of questions, which is common in this day. You see, to grow, Jesus asked questions. And then what did he do? He listened. And all of us should be the kind of people we're asking questions. If you're at a point in your life and you're no longer asking questions like this, is Jesus really the resurrected Lord? How can I show gratitude to God for my salvation? If those questions are not on your mind and your heart, then maybe um, something needs to be reevaluated. Another question, what is God doing around me that he's calling me into? How can I be more a part of what God's doing to reconcile people to himself? Who in my life needs an invitation to dinner, to faith, to home group, to church? What are the questions that you're asking? What behaviors are in my life that I must put to death. I ask that all the time because I am very flawed. And I ask God, God, I know there are things in my life that need to be put to death and I've not seen them. So help me to see them. 
Colossians 3 says, put to death these behaviors, things that are objects of the flesh or sins of the flesh. What behaviors must be put on? These are the kinds of questions that people ask to grow in the faith. Jesus had questions. We ought to have questions. And what will result from that is that you will grow in your faith and you will more fully understand your place in God's redemptive plan. This is a life worth living. Or you could choose a life where you don't make too many people mad, make a decent amount of money, you grow old, you have enough to spoil your grandchildren, and you die. I mean, that's the American dream, right? What I'm saying to you is that God has something for you so that when you are near your last breath and you reflect back on your life, you will remember a life well lived, a life of questions, listening, a finding your place, a, a, a life of sacrifice and struggle at times because doing anything worth doing requires struggle. You will look back on your life and you will say, yes. You'll be like Hudson Taylor, arguably the greatest missionary who ever lived, who said these words, if I had 1,000 lives, I'd give them all for China. He was one of the first missionaries to China. He also said, God isn't looking for people of great faith, but for individuals ready to follow him. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, that's not for me. I can't speak as well as Russell can. I did a wedding on Friday night and Saturday night. Actually, Friday after the wedding, the best man came up to me and he said, I wish I could speak like that. And I said, you can. We have a preaching clinic. We'll train you how to preach. You know, he looked at me like, you're crazy. I don't even know you. And um, so he was thinking, you know, I I don't have a special place like you do. But you do. You don't have to be extraordinarily um, gifted in the ways that you think other people are because you are gifted and called and you have a place. He isn't looking for, for people that are great. He's looking for people that are willing to follow. Someday you'll breathe your last breath and maybe you could look back over the course of your life and say something like David Livingston who was a Scottish um, missionary to Africa, medically trained, pioneering work in Africa to introduce people to Jesus. And he said these words, I will go anywhere provided it be forward. Or Amanda Barry Smith who said to stay here and disobey God, to ignore my part in God's redemptive plan I cannot afford to take the consequence she says I would rather go and obey God than to stay here and know that I disobeyed like Bob Pierce the founder of World Vision which helps needy children get paired up with families with resources let my heart be broken with the things that break God's heart how will you Live your life. What will you do with your place in God's plan? Maybe you'll be like my friend Sergio, who's going to be with me next week on the stage. He's planning a church in Northside Village, and for two years, our church, because of your generosity, has been able to help fund their church plant. 
He's in Northside Village, which is just north of downtown, west of Denver Harbor. It's an area that's consumed by drugs and prostitution and crime. And my friend Sergio used to be a drug dealer in this neighborhood, and he got saved. And now he's going back in with his wife and children, and he's literally walking into these whorehouses and sharing Jesus with drug dealers and prostitutes. And I I want you all to meet him. He's been at our church before, but he's going to be here because he and I are co-laboring for the gospel in the same neck of Houston, the same area of Houston. Or maybe some of you want to be the kind of people like many in our church who moved into this city. When their peers were moving out further to buy houses that they'll retire and get old in, which is nothing wrong with that, but they had these people moved into this city with a sense of calling. It's a sense of mission to this neighborhood. A neighborhood, though there are lots of church buildings, it's deplete of gospel proclamation. This group of people, some of you are here, were misunderstood by family and friends. Your family and friends continue to live outside in larger houses with smaller house payments. And though that is the case, here you are on mission. You found your place. Press on. What will be your place? I believe that in Christ you have a very special, unique place in God's plan. I hope and pray that you will be stirred to find it and to live in it, to move forward in it.